1: Over the centuries, House Targaryen has produced both great men and monsters. Prince Daemon was both. In his day, there was not a man so admired, so beloved, and so reviled in all of Westeros. He was made of light and darkness in equal parts. To some, he was a hero. To others, the blackest of villains. No true understanding of that most tragic bloodletting, known as the Dance of the Dragons, is possible without a consideration of the crucial role played before and during the conflict by this rogue prince. Yes, yes, Prince Damon Targaryen, the rogue prince. He's said to be made of equal parts, light and darkness, but if you watch season one House of the Dragon, you maybe wonder how far they're stretching the word equal there. I mean, we're talking about someone who divorced his wife by hitting her in the head with a rock, and someone who not only took his 14-year-old niece to a flea-bottom brothel for a sex education field trip slash make-out heavy petting session, but who also fully intended to have sex with his niece in said brothel, and who left her, abandoned her, in said brothel after he couldn't bring himself to finish the deed. Oh yes, and there's also Damon's stint as head of the City Watch. Hashtag Damon is a cop. Where he seemed a little... Quick to chop off people's hands, heads, and naughty bits, shall we say. Hashtag, don't be a fascist. So where's the good that's equal to all of that, one wonders. And keep in mind, the war is just starting and Damon is far from being done doing crimes. Hashtag doing crimeshood. Well, for one thing, the TV show version of Daemon Targaryen is slightly darker than the Fire and Blood character, having dropped a few lighter moments and having decided that yes, Daemon definitely did murder his wife with a rock, which is only one rumor among many in the books. And with the show having added the scene where Daemon grabs Rhaenyra by the throat in anger, as opposed to kinky but consensual Targaryen love play throat grabbing, which... It's probably a thing. And then the other thing to keep in mind is that this quote about equal parts light and dark comes from the maesters, who have a worldview bias that must be considered. They are, of course, operating within a quasi-medieval feudal monarchist mindset and judging Daemon based on those societal values. But these are really only minor contextual issues. I think after we hold Daemon accountable for his crimes, so to speak, there are certainly positive traits worth appreciating. I mean, if we're appreciating Targaryens or just compelling characters that have come out of George R. R. Martin's brain, then Damon is something of a titan. Many would name Damon's loyalty and devotion to family as his best trait, and obviously that's complemented and paired with his cunning and bravery in war. But I'd actually broaden that out to say that Daemon is devoted to Targaryen culture as a preservation of Valyrian culture, a kind of dragon Renaissance man with a fancy Renaissance coat. We'll get into the specifics of what all that means in a moment, but obviously if we adopt the perspective of the Targaryens, who are among the sole surviving remnants of a much more ancient culture, and who therefore possess a cultural heritage unique from all but a couple other houses in Westeros, the preservation of culture is of the utmost importance. Perhaps even more so than maintaining a royal dynasty. Although those two things can go together if uh, your house is overthrown and eradicated at the same time, which does very nearly happen many years later when old Robert Baratheon comes rumbling down the King's Road to the Battle of the Trident with his warhammer and his breastplate stretcher. Add in the fact that the Targaryens and their blood kin alone possess the ability to bond with and ride dragons. And the fact that the prince that was promised prophecy implies that Targaryens and their dragons are a key factor to surviving the return of the Long Night and to breaking its hold on Westeros and the world. And yes, there is room to appreciate Daemon Targaryen's embodiment of Vintage Valerian dragonlord attributes. uh, We'll try to separate out which of these personality traits are the qualities of a true dragonlord that would help people like Daenerys and Jon win a battle for all of humanity, or which could have simply helped Viserys better rule his kingdom had Otto Hightower not successfully driven a wedge between Viserys and Daemon, and which qualities are really more a matter of Daemon just being a sh person at times. You are no
0: conqueror. You are a plague.
1: That should make for an entertaining video, I think, and it'll put us in the right position to discuss what he's going to do in season two of House of the Dragon. Protection feature. You're always safe from. Right? Hey, Rhaegar, you almost ready? Yes, I think so. Hey, Lightbringer! Oh, gods! It's have him! i seen my breastplate stretcher on you. better go hide. What's he doing in your apartment? I told you he comes also by he here sometimes. My Warhammer. I don't even have any Valerian steel to defend myself. Is that Rhaegar here, go. By any chance? Oh, 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 Nimble. Why do you keep doing that to him? It's like fishing for crabs in a barrel. I knew it wasn't Robert Baratheon the whole time. I just had to go and play my hop. suddenly. Are you a bad little girl? (laughs) That definitely won't work on me. (laughs) Listen, Rhaegar, I'm trying to help you. You're out here where everyone can see you. Look, gods, you're right. That's right, and having NordVPN's new threat protection installed on your desktop... It's like wearing a cloak of anonymity. Well, I never thought about it like that. Rhaegar, it'd be like you putting on an illusion glamour. And walking around Westeros safely with no one being the wiser imagine that well that's an interesting notion yes I've heard about this threat protection works even when you're not using a VPN and it protects you from malicious websites malware data trackers and intrusive ads and even those evil email phishing scams I mean place like this that's right Rhaegar just like you need protection from Robert Baratheon that man is a monster and right now David Lightbringer viewers can get a special offer four months free NordVPN.com slash Lightbringer. It's risk-free with Nord's 30-day satisfaction guarantee. Well, guys, I guess that takes care of that. Thank you very much. And remember, if you want the fastest VPN around, NordVPN.com slash Lightbringer. Don't go around unprotected. You gotta chop, Rhaegar. Chop. Hey, guys. David Lightbringer here. And remember, if you skip the ad, Robert Baratheon's gonna get you. I'm kidding. Of course. I mean, I could have just done straight ad reads. I figured this was more fun. In any case, thanks for clicking on the video. Thanks for leaving nice comments about my crowded house of imaginary people. And let's talk about Damon Targaryen, who is a cop. That's right. We'll start there, since it's a uh, perfect mixed bag of light and darkness. This is really a funny one, because Damon is called the Rogue Prince, and he's viewed as this bad boy rebel, right? But he is, in fact, a cop. The top cop, actually, as head of the City Watch. And that's not even to say anything specific about the role of police in society or the origins of the fraternal order of police, although that's an interesting thing to research. Wow, Google's amazing. But it is kind of amusing, at least to me, that nobody really thinks about Damon as a quote-unquote policeman. He is, however, as head of the City Watch, someone who enforces the law through the use of state-sanctioned violence, which is not really very roguish. Now, perhaps you might say that Damon's over the top purge of accused criminals in King's Landing before the tournament that was intended to commemorate the birth of Viserys and Emma's son was an example of Damon going rogue and being rebellious, but it was in fact just the opposite. Damon was using brutality to enforce the existing power structure. And that is fundamentally an act of conservation not rebellion. The entire point of having laws which penalize criminals with acts of brutality like forced amputation is to use that brutality as a form of behavioral control of the populace. These aren't exactly the kind of penalties one can undo later should new evidence come to light or accusations proven to be false. The emphasis here is on brutality, fear, and conformity it's the most distilled form of rule through intimidation. And Damon's argument that he was, in the end, effective at making the streets of King's Landing safer for the good people of the city was hard for Otto to argue with in the small council meeting.
0: You mightn't know this unless you left the safety of the Red Keep, but much of King's Landing is seen by the small folk as lawless and
1: terrifying. That is, after all, Damon's job, and the job very clearly prioritizes brutal effectiveness over what you might call... Perfect justice. One thing that shouldn't be overlooked, however disturbing and dramatic Damon's scene of harsh justice was, is the fact that Damon actually knows most of the criminals in the city by face or by reputation, and he has intelligence sources in all the worst parts of King's Landing. That's really where his rogue prince moniker comes from, his penchant of kicking it in flea bottom with all the scum and villainy and one of the reasons damon was able to be so effective as head of the city watch was because of that knowledge and those connections ergo if damon wants to go round up all the thieves and murderers and cut purses and such he can actually do a pretty good job of getting that right so to speak. Obviously there's some issues of legal consistency when the Crown knows about and tolerates crime most of the time and then occasionally does a brutal crackdown when it feels like it. I hope that's obvious. But I just wanted to point out that Damon is for the most part punishing actual criminals here as opposed to just randos that he rounded up off the street so that he could do some mutilations and beheadings and say that he did something. The other positive thing to say about Damon as captain of the City Watch is simply that he upgraded all their stuff and whipped them into shape. When a problem comes along, you must whip it. Damon used his considerable political power to improve and radically transform the City Watch in a way that perhaps nobody else could, or at least no one else had done. And this transformation was so dramatic that they needed a new name, and that's when they became the Gold Cloaks. Now, Damon wasn't only affected because it was brutal and because he knew all the addresses of the criminals, but because he understood military discipline, he knew how to run an organization, he exemplified qualities of true leadership, and generally strove to do the best at whatever he was doing including running the watch so there you go i think damon is a cop is kind of a great example of how he's kind of doing the right thing and kind of not depending on your perspective and which parts of his actions you're considering and perhaps what your view on capital punishment is and the circumstances of how damon became head of the city watch bring us to the first and central tragedy of damon's character the fact that Viserys kept him at arm's length and outright rejected him at times, instead of relying on him as his strong right hand. Which, mostly thanks to Wedge Driver Supreme, Otto Hightower. That's right, Otto got Viserys and Daemon, and then he got Alicent and in the next generation. That's just what he does. Now, before Alicent ever married Viserys and had baby Aegon, Otto first championed Rhaenyra as heir instead of Daemon, because he fear Damon as a political foe. The truth is Damon should be far away from this court. Damon is my brother. My blood. And he will have his place at my court. And of course, Otto also succeeded in having Damon removed from two previous positions. I named Damon Master of Laws, but you said he was a tyrant. As Master of Coin, you said he was a spendthrift that would beggar the realm. Those offices are basically the most prestigious after Hand of the King. And Head of the City Watch was essentially a compromise appointment after those two demotions. Again, at the hands of Otto Hightower. Putting Damon in command of the City Watch was your solution. Now the debate about Daemon's character in the early arc of the story revolves around Damon's ambition. Is it ambition for the throne, as Otto claims, or is it ambition to be Viserys' strong right hand, like I was saying, and his actual hand of the king? I do think it's clear that Damon is genuine when he says that it is the latter. And in a broader context, I'd actually say that Daemon's chief ambition is the glory of House Targaryen and the preservation, and perhaps restoration, of Valyrian dragonlord culture. Daemon's desire to serve his brother Viserys and later his niece Rhaenyra, whom he never tries to usurp and whom he kneels to and crowns, flow from his greater desire to see House Targaryen thrive as the last remnant of dragonlord culture on the earth. So the tragedy here is that Daemon and Viserys really do seem to possess complementary attributes which could have worked to temper and complete one another. But instead, we saw Otto Hightower successfully exploit both men's weaknesses to alienate them from one another. To wit, Viserys was more politically minded, better at schmoozing with the High Lords and currying favor, building alliances, giving a good speech and presenting a solid confident face of the monarchy to the people, which all of those things are important, so don't dismiss them. Viserys also has a certain kind of temperance, shall we say, that Daemon lacks, and it's easy to see how that temperance could have moderated Daemon's aggression and impulsivity had only the two brothers been working on the same page. And remember, you want the only people in charge of dragons to have a certain amount of temperance and restraint. We often highlight that when we're talking about Daenerys, the fact that she's self-reflective and Worries about birthing monsters and unleashing them on the world is a good thing. That's, that's good, you want that. On the other end of the spectrum is Megor the Cruel. And of course, in Daemon's darker moments, he's compared to Megor the Cruel. So there you go, temperance is important. King Viserys is also a bit of a ditherer. Some might say spineless coward, conflict avoidant, whatever, choose your own expression.
0: You're weak, Viserys. And that Council of Leeches knows it. They all prey on you for their own ends.
1: And he ultimately avoided clearly resolving the succession situation before his death, no matter whether you talk in the books or the show canon. Damon, on the other hand, is certainly more decisive. And again, had the brothers been rowing in the same direction, Viserys would have been able to strategically utilize Damon's skills. And Damon, feeling strategically utilized, would have been less likely to go rogue and sort of do his own thing. King Viserys and House Targaryen aren't running a charity after all, but trying to maintain power in a feudal monarchy. So state-sanctioned violence is a part of this. And you want the most skilled and efficient violence you can get in such situations. You know, should you find yourself in charge of a feudal monarchy. And I think we can say that Daemon, armed with one of the two existing Valyrian steel ancestral swords of House Targaryen, Dark Sister, and backed by our favorite spicy noodle monster, Caraxes the Bloodworm, definitely fits the bill as efficient violence. If we're speaking of the more lofty purpose of needing Targaryens around to prepare for the Long Night and fight the army of the dead and the White Walkers with dragons, instead of just maintaining a feudal monarchy, then we can say that you do. You need a bit of steel in your spine to fly a dragon into war, let alone some sort of apocalyptic clash with the others and their whites and their ice spiders. Speaking in terms of book canon, one hopes that Jon and Danny will have a little bit of that Daemon Targaryen resolve in their eyes when they face the others. And I think we saw plenty of it in the show's short night version of the long night to come, which was in general very cool until the last three minutes or so, in my opinion. John and Danny standing on that cliff, surveying the army of the dead, was probably the most electric moment in the series for me.
0: The Night King is coming. The dead are already here.
1: And you can absolutely look at these two in that moment and say, those are the descendants of Daemon Targaryen. So where were we? Oh yes, uh, Viserys and Daemon's teamwork that wasn't. I think the basic idea is made, if Viserys had made Daemon his hand, he probably would have done a good job, and instead of having this angsty, I'm not good enough for my family energy, he would have been Viserys' most loyal and powerful ally. Especially when you consider the fact that Viserys is one of the only Targaryens alive who doesn't have a dragon. So instead of Otto Hightower being able to marry his daughter to King Viserys and... Birth an entire family of rival claimants to the throne And then later start a war to seat said claimants on the throne Viserys simply would have nodded sagely when Daemon said Otto Hightower is a snake And sent Otto back to Oldtown Or maybe let Daemon chop his head off, who knows But the point is, with no Otto Hightower as Hand of the King There is almost certainly no civil war No dying of Targaryen dragons No chomping of princes And no massive weakening of Targaryen power but instead, this guy, this mother right here, Otto Hightower, he did very successfully and very snakily s- exploit the character flaws of Damon and Viserys. And here's how he did it. First, Viserys struggles to make hard decisions, like I said, bit of a ditherer. And Otto offers Viserys the decisiveness that he needed and which Damon could have provided. But Otto, unlike Daemon, comes wrapped in a deceptively palatable and genial package, which appeals to Viserys. Otto then played up Daemon's aggressiveness and impulsivity as much as possible, tried to portray Daemon's ambition for House Targaryen as a desire to steal the throne from Viserys and later Rhaenyra, and encouraged Viserys to ostracize and demote Daemon whenever possible, with Daemon occasionally playing into Otto's hands by, you know, doing Daemon stuff. Viserys never really seemed to be comfortable with Daemon's hedonism and lack of impulse control. And unlike Daemon, Viserys seems reluctant to use violence or go to war, which again, can be a good thing. We've even seen that King Viserys is uncomfortable with the Targaryen control over dragons, which he says is an illusion. Whereas Daemon fully embraces the dragonlord life and says that the dragons are what made the Targaryens kings. A good example of Otto using Daemon's poor judgment to undermine Viserys' confidence in Daemon was the way that Otto swiftly bore the tale of He toasted Prince Baelon to the king's son, styling him the heir for a day while Viserys was still completely fresh in his grief. There was really no need to do that. It was just something Damon said while drinking in a brothel. It's not some sort of state emergency that needed immediate attending to. But Otto, snake that he is, knew that Viserys was then consumed with grief and also a bit of guilt over Emma's death. And so he cunningly gave Viserys a target to dump that emotion onto, which was Damon. Damon had also dishonored himself at the tourney only a day or so prior, which further undermined Viserys' level of respect for Damon. We see Viserys wince and try to shrug those sorts of things off, but they all stack up in the end. And Otto Hightower is there to mortar the bricks. All in all, it's just another brick in the wall. Boom, boom, boom. So as we turn to the topic of Daemon as preserver of Valyrian Dragonlord culture, we can observe the final tragedy of Daemon and Viserys having been driven apart. They both, in different ways, are very connected to Valyrian culture. Daemon is riding dragons and singing to dragons and building dragon egg incubators. And he's digging around in old Valyrian scrolls in Pentoshi libraries. Hashtag digging around in scrolls coat. Kinda. Viserys, on the other hand, is gifted slash burdened With dragon dreams, prophetic dragon dreams, as many Targaryens are. And of course, he's specifically burdened with Aegon's prophetic dream of ice and fire, which is secretly inscribed on the prophecy knife of destiny. Had Daemon and Viserys not been alienated from one another, perhaps their separate pursuits of reclaiming lost Valyrian knowledge could have been undertaken in coordination and thus been more successful and more long-lasting. Just thinking of these two as old men sitting around Viserys' toy Valerian city, playing dragons. It's almost enough to make me forget all the horrible things that Daemon Targaryen did, which, by the way, also include murdering that serving man, the Valyrian serving man, to help cover Laenor's escape. And also not giving his daughters a hug after Lena died. Oh wait, no, he did give his daughters a hug. That scene was just cut. Here it is. Feast your eyes. Damon's not a totally terrible father. There there you go. Now, Damon did seem to show favoritism uh, towards Bela over Reyna, right? Which totally sucks, but is probably a result of Bela having been a dragon rider and Reyna not having been one yet. You gotta figure Damon struggles relating to kids, and having a dragon gives him something to connect to Bela over. And that's probably all that's going on there, so. Some say that Daemon should have set Rhaena up to claim Vhagar right after Lena's death, and perhaps so, but perhaps you just said that Daemon should have fed his daughter to a dragon right after his wife got roasted by a dragon, and that's kind of messed up. Because of course dragons don't automatically accept any Targaryen who comes along to ride them. <laughs> No, we do not. No, sir. Sometimes we chomp. And dragons do not, repeat, do not automatically pass from parent to child. And kids definitely can't just go riding their parents' dragons, either. That's not a good idea. It's certainly an interesting discussion to have, you know, what would have happened if Reyna had tried to claim Nana Vagar? And uh, maybe we'll come back to that a different time. But I think we can probably assume that Damon either just looked at Reyna and Vagar. Didn't really see a good match. Or perhaps we could say that his bigger mistake was not identifying Aemond as someone with the gumption and the capability to claim Vagar so soon after Lena's passing. Vagar, after all, had been unclaimed for many, many years before Lena tracked her down and claimed her, so maybe he just wrongly assumed that Vagar would go unclaimed for a while again. But just as Damon is made of the true Dragonlord stuff, so is Amund One-Eye, Aemond Kinslayer. In fact, it occurs to me that there may be an intentional parallel between Amund spying up Vagar from the dunes and then stealing himself to approach and claim victory for his family, essentially, and Damon standing on a dune and planting his challenge to the crab feeder, which, of course, was a gambit to win the war for his kingdom. It's the exact same sort of mix of courage and hubris in both situations. And that's kind of what it takes to ride a dragon or lead a war from the front. There's certainly some ego at play and a need to play the hero, perhaps. But also a recognition that someone's got to step up and do the job and that they are the ones with the capability to do so. So as we outlined in the Dragon's Ranked video, thanks for watching that everyone, Aemond's claiming of Nana Vagar is really the only reason why Team Green could even dream of challenging Rhaenyra for the throne. Without Vagar, they simply don't have the dragon power. And if Rayna or another Team Black Dragon Rider had claimed Vagar, well, forget about it. So Aemond was definitely stepping up and doing what he saw needed to be done to protect his family and make it strong. Just as Damon saw that someone had to break the stalemate in the Stepstones and that he was the best position to do the job and to take the extreme risks that he did in order to pull off the victory. So yes, a bit of ego, but probably a lot more doing what needs to be done, which has to be commended. We see that same trait, 170-some years later, in Daenerys, when she sees that she alone is in the position to set off a much-needed revolution in Slaver's Bay, and then courageously puts her own person and everything that she possesses on the line to carry it out. Jon Snow similarly rushes into the breach and puts himself in harm's way, most famously when he was murdered for the crime of realizing that the wildlings were just people like the rest of them and leading them through to the lands of the living side of the wall, a crime which bigots like Bowen and Marsh just couldn't stomach. Now, there was a little bit more to it than that, true, but no one can doubt John's courage or his willingness to go to bat for his brothers or really anyone that needs protecting. Getting back to Damon, one detail that was dropped from the books for the show that I really missed does a great job of demonstrating just how important loyalty to family and willingness to throw down for family is to Damon's character, and that's from the Great Council of one AC, which we saw briefly at the very beginning of episode one. That's where Viserys became king, of course, and in the book version, there were other claimants besides Viserys and Rhaenys, the queen who never was. One of whom was Laenor Velaryon, or should we say Corlys Velaryon, on behalf of his very young son, Laenor. When word got out that Corlys might be amassing a fleet to enforce Laenor's claim, Daemon, who was then twenty years old, by the way, gathered a small army of sworn swords and men-at-arms to... Back up Viserys' claim. Now Daemon is 49 and he's in charge of Rhaenyra's war effort. So it's been a solid three decades of Daemon throwing down for his family. He doesn't have that reputation for nothing and this is part of why Viserys really should have thought to make him his Hand of the King as soon as he took the throne. Otto Hightower as Hand of the King was actually a holdover from King Jaehaerys. And though it might have seemed grasping for Daemon to say boot his ass back to old town and gimme his chain that again would have prevented a civil war and thus been the right course of action because whatever you want to say about Damon's hot headedness and he's mago the cruel come again if there's no second high tower family of claimants there's no dance of the dragons so now that we've dug into what makes Damon tick it's easy to preview his course of action in season two we can expect him to champion Rhaenyra's cause like an angry dragon To stop at nothing to vanquish her enemies, including committing war crimes, potentially. We can expect him to throw himself into the fray wherever it's needed, lead from the front, if you will. And we can expect him to bring all his knowledge of dragons, warfare, and dragon warfare to bear to help Team Black prevail. We might expect him to grow frustrated if he's balked, though. We've already seen that. Again, the the anger choking of Rhaenyra. So we can definitely say that Damon is something of an edgy partner and war leader to work with. And shout out to that Stepstones messenger who did absolutely nothing to deserve getting whapped upside the face with a steel helmet. Damon, don't shoot the messenger. It's an expression. Don't hit people. Don't choke people. How to Win Friends and Influence People does not have a section on choking people and hitting them with your helmet. So there you have it. Damon and Graxies are the heart of the Team Black war effort, for better or for worse. And I'd actually say it's his level of cooperation and teamwork with Rhaenyra which is the thing that we should watch for the most closely in season two. Damon's battle prowess, after all, is pretty much unquestioned, as is Karaxi's fierceness and long neckedness. So the real question here is Has Daemon learned anything from his failure to work with Viserys, and will he do a better job of working with Rhaenyra? Much of the war may come down to this, and of course, to Rhaenyra's decision-making and judgment. How much will she trust Daemon? Will she pick the right moments to stand up to him and the right moments to heed his counsel? Will she be able to sort out what is Daemon's Dragonlord steel and what is his ego and vainglory whenever he's suggesting this or that course of action? And I think that pretty well sums up Daemon Targaryen, the rogue prince, and where he's at as of the beginning of season two. So let me know what you think in the comments. I'm sure you will. We touched on a couple of controversial topics. So thanks for watching. And as always, breathe some fire on the little thumbs up button and subscribe button if you haven't done that. So that you never miss a House of the Dragon video or a House of the Dragon post-show after-show live stream breakdown thingy, which we do here. All right, see you next time.